Uh, when I found out about it, I, I just got my car. I was already in my car, and I just drove right down there. I was the first one there and, and saw it after, obviously, it got reported. And took some pictures of it and I called the sheriff's department, um, you know, to see if it would be... I don't know, I don't know, what, the, I don't know what the law is. Can, can you cover up bad graffiti with good graffiti? You know, what are you, what are you supposed to do? You know, so I called the uh, sheriff's department, and, and they said, oh, yeah, please, cover it up, cover it up. So then I realized, okay, well, I don't have any way to cover it up, so I got to go. So I drove all the way back now to Ace, you know, and I got some paint and called up uh, Ben Baker, who's the pastor of Church of Christ down the road and a good friend of mine. He lives in Otis, and I said, hey, man, meet me at, the, at this bridge. We're going to go. We got to go take care of something. And so he drove out there. We met there, and I got out of my car and went down there. I got my paint cans and uh, went down there to take care of it. And when we went down there, there was a woman already there, and she had already painted. I mean, I must have gone a half hour, and she had painted over. There was huge signs all over the place, and she had painted over almost all of them by the time we got down there. And it was kind of like, oh, man, you, you kind of beat us to it, That's, which is good, you know? So we helped her out with what was left. Um, and come to find out, she was a sheriff's deputy. Uh, and, and we had a good conversation. We talked about, uh, you know, she talked about how, from her perspective, that's, that is just so destructive. And we talked about the need for reform and then all this good stuff that we had this good conversation. And so, so Ben and I, we didn't really do anything because she had already done all the hard work. And so we kind of did, you know, we touched up a little bit and then we left and I posted on Facebook and I'm a part of a couple anti-racism groups on Facebook. And so I posted on there and I, I gave a shout out to uh, the Lincoln County Sheriff's Department, gave a shout out to Ben and and sort of said, hey, you know, just want to say thank you to these, to these good people. And, and I didn't know the, the sheriff personally, but I, I butchered her name and gave her a shout-out, too. And uh, I got a message back from one of the guys in the anti-racism group, and he messaged me, and he said, hey, you know, he said, I don't know why you're giving so much prop to the sheriff's department. And I said, you know what, man? I said, she didn't have to come out. You know, she, didn't, she could have just ignored it. She could have waited until somebody else took care of it, but she didn't do that. She came out, and she did the work before we got there. You know, I'm going to give credit where credit is due. And, and, it, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't believe in this, this thing where we're at war with one another. That's not how it is at all. And, and people want to divide us. They want to say you're either with us or against us. You're either a, a good guy or you're a bad guy. And that's absolutely not how it is. And I, I want to give respect where respect is due. So when I found out, God bless her. When I found out that Kate Brown, specifically for religious gatherings, doubled our capacity at a time when the governor of California said he can't sing in church anymore, at a time when the governor of Washington is still keeping uh, numbers down, the governor of Oregon decided for religious gatherings, yeah, and I'm going to give credit where credit is due. And I don't always agree with Kate Brown, and I don't always agree with her policies, but I want to say thank you, Lord, for that good decision. Because you know what, she's probably getting a lot of pushback from her constituents right now about that. Because as far as I could read the wording, it was specifically targeting religious gatherings and allowing us to go to 50 people. Nobody else on the West Coast is able to do that. So Lord, we thank you for uh, the decision that was made recently by Kate Brown. And, and God, we just ask for mercy on her continued wisdom. And Lord, would you protect her, God, because uh, 
She's probably receiving a lot of flack for that right now. Protect her, and I pray that this would be a good decision. We pray that there would not be any further outbreaks. We pray that this wouldn't lead to a spike in cases, but, Lord, that we would be able to gather as a family, as a church, and worship you in in peace. And so we thank you for that decision, and uh, be with her. Amen. I'm not, I'm not going to stand up here and say the Republicans are the bad guys, the Democrats are the bad guys, the police are the bad guys, the protesters are the bad guys. It's, it's not like that. It's not like that. We have good people, we have bad people, and we need to uplift and pray for and champion the voices that, that are doing well. So I'm going to give credit where credit's due. Amen? Amen? All right. Okay. I'm so glad to be here. I'm happy to be here. Okay, so, so here's the deal with this new thing now, that we can have 50 people. Now, here's the deal. Here's what doesn't change. We still have to have social distancing. We still have to have masks, okay? So that, that stays the same, but um, we can, as long as we can have socially distance with 50 people, we can have up to 50 people in each service. So we're not going to call anybody anymore, come to church if you want to come to church, and we have two services. We have a 10 o'clock and we have a 6 p.m. And we figure if you're here right now, you're, you're morning people, you know, so come to the morning service. And if you want to come to the morning service, come to the morning service. But if you were already planning on going to the evening service, go to the evening service. So we're going to keep that open too. And then that way we'll be able to, you know, increase our capacity because I think there's still some people who want to stay home, which I respect very much. And, and God bless you. And hopefully the internet will work well enough uh, that it'll work. Um, but that way we'll have, we should be able to keep it under 50 people for each service, okay? So we're not going to call anybody anymore. Just come to church, pick a morning or an evening service, but come, okay? And I think most people, yeah, amen. Most people prefer the mornings, is that right, Debbie? Most people prefer the mornings. So, so if you come, and you know what, if we're at 50 people, or we can't, or once we figure out how many people exactly we can fit in here, if we hit our capacity and we say, look, you got to go home, don't, don't feel bad, just come to the evening service, and worship with us, okay? Let's not let this divide us. All right, that's enough of that. Uh, let's continue to encourage each other in faith. Times of suffering come and go, but the love that God has given us for each other, that remains constant, that stays with us. Uh, so praise the Lord for that. We're going to focus now uh, for a few weeks on the first chapter of James. Um, I was actually, I was, I was, this last couple weeks ago, I was thinking about, what's, what is God putting us next? Where's God saying? And Sylvia, at our Wednesday morning prayer thing, you read a little passage from um, uh, James, or an introduction to the book of James, and I felt like, wow, that really spoke to me. And so I'm, I wanted to spend a few weeks on the first chapter of James. So that was, that was Sylvia speaking out, so thank you for that. So we're going to spend a few weeks now on the chapter, uh, first chapter of James. Today we're going to cover five verses. We may not we may not hit every single verse, but we're going to cover five verses. So can I have somebody who wants to, because there's somebody who wants to read this, James 1, 1 through 5. You can read it from your Bible or from the screen. Sylvia, you want to read it for us? You've got to read it into the microphone. That way the people online, they can hear you. So put it right up against your face there and read. And it's up on the screen, too. You can read it there or you can read it in your, in your Bible. James, is that good? Yeah, that's good. Okay. Go for it. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face... There we go. ...trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. 
Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. James 1, 1 through 5. Thank you, Sylvia. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Let's go back to verse 1. Let's go through this. James writes this letter. It says, To the scattered tribes, or to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. This is a time in which I can really commiserate with that sentiment. Um, because we are a scattered people, right? We're scattered all over the place on the internet and out throughout Lincoln City. So we, let's pay attention to what James says here. Because we're in a similar situation. We're scattered. How many feel scattered? Say scattered. Scattered. Okay. Verse 2, James tells us to consider our current trials as pure joy. Literally, pure joy. It means complete joy, all joy, the fullest joy, the most joy. That's what it means. Notice he doesn't say, be happy when you're going through trials, but consider it pure joy. Happiness is what we feel when we are without pain. Joy is what a mother feels when they get to hold their baby for the first time. She's not without pain. That's right. She's not without pain, amen, but she is full of joy. So joy is not the absence of pain. And then James tells us to consider it pure joy whenever we face trials. Notice that James doesn't say consider it pure joy if you face any trials. But whenever you face trials, there was a great fish who once sang, in your life you may have trouble, when you worry, you make it double. Don't worry, be happy. Do you know this? You know this fish? No, you don't? Find him. He's a great fish. (laughs) Half of you are totally with me, and half of you are like, man, I don't know about this whole thing. When was that evening service? (laughs) the word James uses here when he says face whenever you face trials of many different kinds the word face what it means is fall into literally it means to fall into a trial so imagine that you're just walking through a forest and then bam you fall into a tiger pit you have fallen into a trial it wasn't a trial that you saw coming it wasn't something that you had necessarily planned for. It wasn't something that you had even chosen for yourself, but you've fallen into a trial. He's not talking about the bad consequences of your choices. He's talking about the reality of the world in which you live. And I think this is now a time when we have fallen into trials. We have come upon something. We can't turn off these trials. Nobody can turn back time. Nobody can turn off this virus and go back to the way that things were. Nobody can undo all of that damage. We've fallen into these trials. We don't control them, and we cannot end them. Nevertheless, consider them pure joy, brothers and sisters, because even though you can't control these trials, that doesn't mean that the trials have to control you. Amen? Amen? Just because you are not in control of these trials, that doesn't mean that you have to allow the trial to control you. You may be pressed, but you're not crushed yet. Amen. This virus may have gotten you down, but it hasn't licked you yet. No, 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 no. Devil, you are going to have to try a lot harder to get us to this point. Because we're not going to break that easily. 
Just because a trial comes upon us that we can't control, that doesn't mean that it has to control our actions. We've been set free from sin. We've been set free from death. We've been set free from the consequence of those things, and they don't control us anymore. We're underneath a different, a different purview. We've got a different mission on our mind. You can't control these trials, but you can control yourself. When evil circumstances come, you can still have the victory because you don't have to give in to fear or despair. You don't have to give up to those things. Praise God, we can still have the victory. In fact, every trial that we fall into is just another opportunity for you to secure victory through Jesus. It's another opportunity for you to find victory. So rejoice. Consider it pure joy. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance Perseverance means the capacity to hold out or bear up in a time of difficulty. I remember I was going for a boat ride with my family, with my mom, my siblings, and I think there was a family friend driving the boat, and we spent the day intertubing. I think we were on Lake Washington or something. We were intertubing all day long, and then at the end of the day, you know, came time to come in, and we decided we were going to let the intertube uh, float behind us as we drove into shore. So we threw, threw the inner tube over the boat. You can kind of watch it fly, you know, because they're going so fast. Threw the inner tube over the boat, and, the, and our friend, he gunned the engine. We started heading towards shore, and the rope started disappearing out the back of the boat. And I looked over, and I noticed that my older brother had his foot tangled in the rope, but he didn't realize that. My mom made a noise. Do you remember this, Mom? Okay, you'll remember it. <laughs> my mom made a noise, and I saw it about the same time, and time must have slowed down. I don't know how I got to the rope that quickly, but I grabbed that rope as it was leaving the boat, and I felt, I felt it burn, right, as it was slipping through my hands. But I, I just I dug in until it stopped, and I held on. And we got the driver's attention, and we slowed down you know, we were able to untangle my brother. But even after we stopped, I had to, my whole brain, had to, I had to engage my whole brain to let go of this rope. Something had switched in my mind. And when I grabbed that rope, I realized I was, I was not letting go of that thing. And I knew when I grabbed it, it was going to hurt. I, my brain understood the pain that was going to happen. But I had decided that it was infinitely better to hold on to that rope and endure the pain than it was to let go. So it didn't matter how much it was going to hurt. And I'm convinced that even if that rope had cut all the way through my hand, I was not going to let it go. My mind was fixed. It was made up. That's what perseverance is. Friends, sometimes you don't know that you have perseverance until a trial comes. Until you've resolved in your mind, that you're going to hold on. That holding on is infinitely better than letting go. Until you resolve that there's no power in heaven or earth that's going to move you from your position. I believe that every Christian that has ever died for their faith didn't realize that they had the capacity to endure that until they faced that challenge. And over the years, over the 2,000 years that our, our church has been in existence, we've had many, many thousands and hundreds of thousands of people who have died for their faith. In fact, there's a story about a girl named Perpetua. 
one of the earliest Christian martyrs, and we're talking about second century, a very early Christian martyr. And she was the daughter of a wealthy Roman citizen. And she uh, was converted, actually had a slave in their household who became a Christian. And uh, the slave converted Perpetua, uh, who was the daughter of the master of the house. And when the government found out about this, they, they were rounding up some Christians. They took Perpetua and they put her into prison and she was uh, sent to the arena and she was going to die in the arena. And uh, her father would come to her daily and plead with her, please, please, renounce this Jesus. Turn away from this. What is Jesus compared to your family? This is, this is not worth it and everything. And, and Perpetua would put on a brave face and she would she would uh, you know, say, no, Dad, I, this is something I have to do. But later she would admit to her friends that she was having a lot of doubt and difficult uh, doubt about whether or not she had what it take to, to go the full distance. And each night she would have a nightmare. And the nightmare was that she would enter the arena and there would be a dragon there, a great dragon. And she identified this as Satan. And dragon, the dragon would be prowling. And then she'd wake up from her nightmare and she never knew what would happen, what the end result would be. And the night before she was scheduled to die, the dream came back again. And the story goes that in the dream, she enters the arena and she realizes she's dressed like a warrior. And the dragon is prowling. And the dragon is guarding a ladder. And she looks up the ladder. At the top of the ladder, she sees Jesus and angels. And as she's trying to figure out if she has enough strength, finally, something switches in her mind, and she decides she's going to hold the line. And so she goes up to the dragon, and it says she uses the dragon's head as the first rung of the ladder and begins to climb up. And so the next day when she was sent and she was torn apart by animals, the witness to the crowd was that she was completely unperturbed, completely undisturbed to be there, as if she had already conquered them, as if she had already conquered it, because she had decided to persevere. She had decided to hold the line, and that there was not going to be anything, whether it was pain or suffering or death, that was going to dissuade her from dropping the line of faith that she had held on to. See, if the dragon hadn't been there, She would have had no reason to persevere. And so many times I think we face the trials of our lives, but you know what? If the trials of your life weren't there, you'd have no reason to persevere. You'd simply climb the ladder. But now there's a test before you. There's a trial. It's easy, quite easy, to hold the line of our faith when the boat is still and the line is slack and things are easy and it works out well. But when the boat is whipping along and you have to make a decision, that's when the trial begins to produce perseverance in you. There's no trial that we must face that cannot be overcome. There is no trial that you can face which cannot be overcome. That's something that you need to to receive in your heart. There's nothing that you face that cannot be overcome. People face a trial and they count themselves out before the trials even started. I want to tell you something. Your dreams, the things that God has deposited in your heart, yes, all things can be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus says, with, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. Receive that. Receive it inside yourself. In her dream, perpetual resolve that she was going to persevere. Because the battle was already won. And one day you're going to meet her. You're going to meet Perpetua in heaven. And she's going to say, well done. Well done, sister. You've persevered. You're going to meet Paul in heaven. Paul who was flogged and beaten and stoned and cast out from even his own people. And shipwrecked and left for dead so many times. But never gave up the line. Never gave up hope. Never gave up his faith. You're going to meet Paul and he's going to say, well done, brother. Well done. You've persevered. You're going to meet Jesus. Jesus, the one who was blameless, who took on the blame of this whole world. Jesus, the one who was beaten nearly to his death. Jesus, the one who paid a sacrifice for the sin which he'd never committed. He's going to look at you and he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have persevered. You have persevered through many trials. Come now into this rest. Come now into this place of rest. Isaiah 57.2 says, Those who walk uprightly enter into peace. They find rest as they lie down in death. Friend, perseverance cannot be attained by reading a book or listening to a sermon, even if it's a great sermon, or even praying a prayer. No, you must go through the difficulties of life to encounter perseverance. That's what it requires. It requires trial. So here, James says to us, Beloved, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God is intent on developing our character. He wants us to be mature and complete. I want to be prosperous. I do. God wants me to be honest. I want to be happy, but God wants me to be peaceful. I want to be at the top of my game, but God wants me to be humble. God's goal is not to pamper us physically, but to perfect us spiritually. He took 80 years. Think about this. He took 80 years to perfect Moses' character before he sent him back to Israel to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. 80 years working on Moses' character. And if you are under 80 years old like I am, that is a long time. He took 80 years to develop Moses' character before he even started on the task that he had given Moses. Before he even began. Let him finish his work in you, friends. He's using trials to perfect your character. When self-satisfaction becomes the goal of human existence, then every single trial that comes to my life is a punishment from God. But when sanctification, when making me more like Jesus, when perfecting my life, when maturing my character, when teaching me perseverance, when making me more and more into the image of God, when that becomes the goal of my life, then every trial that comes into my life is not a punishment. It's an opportunity for God to greater refine me and hone me and turn me into something which he needs me to be. Self-satisfaction is never God's goal. God is interested in sanctification. He's not interested in making you happy. He's interested in making you holy. He's not interested in healing your body. He's interested in setting you free 
and teaching you compassion. And insofar as healing your body does that, he's interested in that. But that's not the end-all, be-all, because you know what? These bodies are going to die eventually anyways. So what does it matter if it dies today or dies in 50 years? What God is interested in is what happens afterwards. But he certainly cares about now. He certainly does heal our bodies. But that's not his end goal. If I'm sick or well, rich or poor, happy or sad, my faith remains because I'm determined to hold the line. And no sickness or poverty or sorrow is going to cause me from dropping that line. It's through the process of endurance that we develop maturity. And at that point, we can lack nothing. Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Notice how quickly, when James is talking about lack, that he brings up the idea of wisdom. How many of you would say, I think we are lacking wisdom in our world today? How many would say that that is something which we are in need of? Yes. If wisdom were a vitamin, we would be wisdom deficient right now. We thank you, Richard. (laughs) We are lacking wisdom in this community, in this world today. Friends, we lack it. Don't you know that God would never withhold anything good from his children? Don't you know that if you came to God and asked him, that he would open up the floodgates of heaven and release unto you what you need for your life. Don't you know that we serve a good God? We need to find our way back to God. We need to find a way back to him, return to that fount of wisdom. We need to ask God for wisdom during these times. I like what the uh, Common English Bible puts this verse. This is what it says in the Common English Bible. It says, but anyone who needs wisdom should ask God whose very nature is to give to everyone without a second thought, without keeping score, wisdom will certainly be given to those who ask. How much more will God give you wisdom when he's already given you grace to cover all of your sin? How much more will God give you wisdom when he's already provided for you a way out of death? How much more does he want you? How much more does he want you to invest in you, to transform you? God will give you. We need to just ask him. The trouble is, when we ask God for wisdom, he begins to work on our character, and that means developing us into maturity, and maturity comes through perseverance, and perseverance can only be developed under trials. So when we go to God and we say, Lord, I need wisdom, and he starts to bring trials into our life, we say, no, God, I need wisdom, not trials, wisdom. And God says, this is the path through which you will gain wisdom. Don't you realize this is the way I'm working it out in your life? Can't you see that God is at work through this whole thing? He's teaching you. He's trying to woo you. He's trying to call your heart. He's trying to call your mind. He's trying to develop something inside of you. Stop resisting him. Stop resisting God. He's interested in doing a good work inside of you. How I wish God would just supply us with the easy answers. I must admit that the older I get, and I know I'm not old, but the older I get, the more and more appealing those magazines are in the checkout stand at Safeway. Like, I read them just as you do, where it's like Jennifer Aniston, you know, she lost 40 pounds, and now she has a rock and beach body, and she just changed this one thing about her diet. Or like Idris Alba's Sexiest Man Alive at age 47, and all he did was this five-minute exercise once every two weeks, you know? And I'm like, oh, man! I want some of that. I want that easy answer. Have you, been a, have you seen that Facebook ad that just came up like a month ago? I don't know why it pops up on my feed a lot. But it's like, it's got like a 50-year-old guy, but he's got like the body of an Olympic athlete, you know? Have you seen this one or has this only come up on my page? 
Oh, it only comes up on my page. It's like this 50-year-old guy, right? He's got this like Olympic body, and, and it's like, you could do this. You could be like this. And it just so happens, it always comes up on my feed when it's like 1 a.m. and I'm eating a bag of chips on my sofa, you know? And it's like, you could be like this. And I'm like, oh, yes. That's awesome. I should really click on that link. Get some ice cream, you know, like. <laughs> we want the finished results, but we don't want to go through the finishing process. Amen? If you told me I had to work out for three hours a day for six months to get that body, I'd probably say, well, shoot. Chips taste awfully good. God, give me wisdom, but don't let me suffer. God is going to give you wisdom by giving you trials. Beloved, when the trials of life come, consider them pure joy. Endure them with humility and patience. Hold the line of your faith. Though it hurts you, though it cuts you, hold it and persevere. God is perfecting you. You are going to be mature and complete. And when you are mature, you will be wise. And when people come to you for wisdom and they ask you, how, do, how is it that you know so much? How is it that you have such peace? How is it that you have such wisdom? How is it that you're able to do so many things? And all you'll be able to say is, you know, I, I've endured a lot of trials and God has seen me through every one of them. And I'm not, I don't get perturbed. I don't get disturbed when I see the world going to pot because I know that my God is going to get me through it. He's going to get us all through it. But see, you don't know that yet. You don't know that until you've endured the fire. You don't know that until you've walked through the trials of life. I think some of the greatest testimonies of people are those who have been through such terrible, terrible things. And I think sometimes as Christians, especially as a young Christian, I remember sitting and listening to the testimony of missionaries or you know, people that have come out of drug addiction or that kind of thing and thinking, wow, man, that not that amazing? Like, just the faith and the wisdom and the endurance that they're displaying. And wow, I wish I could be like that. But if you actually went up and talked to those people, they would say, oh gosh, you don't want to, you don't wish this. You don't wish this testimony. I got this testimony through long trials and endurance. It took a lot of hardship to reach this place. See, we, we want the finished product, but we don't like the finishing process. But God is intent on developing you people. He's intent on developing me. So he continues to bring these things into our lives to mature us and give us the wisdom that we need. In his last night before his crucifixion, Jesus sat at a table with his friends. If you have a, if you have a little cup, you can, you can get it out. We're going to take communion together. And Jesus sat with his friends at a table in, a, in an upper room. And he took some bread and he said, he said, guys, I hate to tell you this, but my body is going to be broken soon. It's going to be torn apart. It's going to endure many trials. But he said, guess what? My broken body is broken for you. It's broken so that you could have something. And Jesus said, every time that you take this bread and you eat it, remember, remember the sacrifice that I have made for you. Remember the trial that I have endured for you. Church, take this and eat it.
And if that wasn't hard enough for, for his disciples to hear after he took the bread, he took some wine, or say, here's some juice. And he said, friends, this is like my blood. It's been poured out for you, emptied for you, poured over all of your sins. He said, I'm going to endure suffering so that you can endure life. I want to pay the price for you. Not just those 12 people together, but you, 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 you. I want to pay the price for you. And so he said, take this, drink it. Think about the sacrifice that I've made. Would you drink this with me, church? And after they'd eaten together, this is what he said. He said, I've told you these things that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Friends, you are going to have trouble in this life, but take heart. Christ has overcome this world. And you will as well. Only do this one thing. Lay your hands on the rope of faith and do not let go. Only do this one thing. Come to Jesus with humility and say, Lord, I lay my life down at your feet and I take up your cross. We're going to take a minute to pray because I feel like that there are some of us here today who have never grabbed onto that rope, who have never said, I want to take up this line of faith. And maybe it's something that's been sitting in front of you for a long time. But for some reason or another, you've put it off, put it off, put it off. Don't put it off any longer. This is what Scripture says. It says, today is the day of the Lord's salvation. Today is the day of the Lord's salvation. Not tomorrow and not yesterday, but today. You have a choice now today. As the line is going past you, will you reach out and grab it? Will you reach out and say, I want to take a hold of this line? If that's you, if that's speaking to your heart right now where you say, I need to accept Jesus tomorrow. I need to take up this line of faith. I need to do this today. I don't want to wait any longer. I need to do it now. Would you raise your hand? Would you say, that's me. That is me today. I need to take up this line of faith today. And for some of us, also, we've taken up that line of faith, but then we've let it slip through our fingers a bit. And we need to dig down. And we need to persevere. And we need to recommit again to a life of faith. If that's you, would you raise your hand and say, Lord, I need to recommit to a life of faith. I need to reestablish myself today. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we come before you as a people who are desperate to you, desperate in need of you. And Lord, I ask that today that your hand would be upon those of us who have said, I need to get closer and closer to you again. Lord, would you come and give us the strength we need to persevere? Today, God, we take up that line of faith again. Lord, we take it up for the first time. We take it up again. 
And Lord, we commit our lives to you. Lord, I commit my life to you. And may everything I do be in obedience to you. Lord Jesus, you have done so many works through us. And I ask that you would come now and seal this work that you've begun in our hearts. God, there are some people here today who have held the line and they felt the rope burning into them and they need relief. Lord, they need help. And I pray, Holy Spirit, by your power that you'd flood their hearts with your love and mercy, that you would flood their hearts with your grace. Lord, would you put your spirit inside of them and fill them up. God, would you give them balm. Behold, your scripture says there's a balm of Gilead and it's there for the healing for the healing of people. Lord, I pray that you would put your balm on their hands of faith. God, those who have suffered, I pray that you would heal them. And Jesus, there's others of us here today, Lord, who feel like maybe we have been following after you, following after you, following after you, but we've never fully gotten on board. We've never fully accepted you into our hearts. And I pray, God, that you would overwhelm us. Lord, would you show us that your grace is full and deep and wide and that there is space for us here in your family. Come and flood our hearts anew, Jesus. Put your spirit in every single one of these people here today and those watching online, may your spirit descend upon us, Lord, to encourage us and to help us to persevere. Now, church, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through, May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ's name and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen.